Church, it's great to be together. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, please keep uh, Tim in prayer. He's taking some much-needed vacation. He'll be off for a couple days and be returning later this week. So turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, our series in the Gospel of Matthew ends today. It's taken almost three years, 28 chapters, and 88 messages. Last week, Tim preached this final message in Matthew, this section called the Great Commission. And with God's help, we'll continue that message and bring this series to a close. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your goodness to us in Christ, in giving us life in him, Lord, we want to know your son better. We want to follow more faithfully. We want to live lives of holiness and obedience and disciple-making. So I pray, Father, you would pour out your spirit upon us even now as we hear your word. Help us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So church, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Tim's main idea from last week and adjust it a bit. And so the big idea for today is this. True disciples are commissioned by the authority of Christ to make disciples by evangelism, by connecting to the local church, and by teaching others. True disciples are commissioned by the authority of Christ to make disciples by evangelism, by connecting to the local church, and by teaching others. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. It's interesting, even after the resurrection of Christ, some of the disciples doubted. They doubted. You see that in the text, but some doubted. Thomas, the disciple in John chapter 20, you might recall, said, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Doubt is a major theme, actually, throughout the Gospel of Matthew. The most obvious example of doubt would be the Pharisees, as we saw. The Pharisees rejected Jesus. Even when they knew something extraordinary had happened at the tomb, they chose to deny the resurrection and even bribed Roman soldiers to spread the lie that Jesus' body was stolen by his disciples. Unbelief is insanity. It's a denial of the obvious, a denial of the truth. But unbelief isn't just a problem for the Pharisees. It's a problem for the disciples. The disciples. How many times does Jesus have to rebuke his disciples throughout Matthew? The disciples worry about food, clothing, and shelter. They panic, or they're just plain clueless about what Jesus is saying. And Jesus has to rebuke them and say, Oh, you of little faith. And here in Matthew 28, at the end of our gospel, Christ has risen. We have reliable eyewitness testimony. But there's still some who doubt. 
in one sense, the disciples really aren't all that different from the Pharisees. We have the resurrected Lord standing right in front of them, and some of the disciples still doubt. The problem isn't a lack of evidence. It's a lack of belief, a lack of trust. And as I've said before, unbelief is not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. People don't believe not because of a lack of evidence. It's because they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe because there are implications for that belief. In fact, the sin of unbelief was man's first sin. In Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden, the first man, Adam, gave in to doubt and disbelief. God warned Adam that breaking the law would result in death. And Adam didn't believe. He doubted. He either didn't believe it would happen or he didn't believe it would actually be all that bad. And all of us here, each one of us, each human being, we have descended from Adam. We have come from Adam, our ancestor, and we've inherited that condition of doubt and disbelief. And that's our reality. That's the disciples' reality, and that's the Pharisees' reality. The human condition on its own is the condition of doubt and disbelief. But that's not the end of the story. Some disciples doubt in Matthew 28, but we know from the book of Acts, all 11 of the remaining disciples, they go all in for King Jesus. They go all in for the kingdom of God. In fact, 10 out of the 11 remaining disciples, they die as martyrs for Jesus. Something changed. And that something is a life-saving and life-changing encounter with King Jesus when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And the question for you, the question for each one of us, before we go any further in this text is, what is your relationship with this king? Have you experienced the life-saving and life-changing power of the gospel? Are you all in or not? Are you a disciple or not? There's no third option. In America, we love to keep our options open. One of the things that shocks people who come to America from around the world, from other nations, is the American grocery store. They go to the grocery store and they can't believe the number of options, choices, brands, varieties. The number of options recently has just simply exploded. In the 1990s, a typical American grocery store carried 7,000 items. Nowadays, a typical grocery store carries 40 to 50,000 items. So you don't just have soda. You've got dozens of varieties of soda and soft drinks. It's not just Coke. You have Coke, Diet Coke, Coke Zero, Cherry Coke, Vanilla Coke. You get the idea. But that's not how Jesus operates. He keeps things simple. It's only two choices. You're either a disciple or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. There's no third option. So how about you? How about you? True disciples, true disciples are commissioned by the authority of Christ. And so I can't assume here this morning that all of you, in fact, are true disciples of Christ. So the unavoidable question presented to us in this passage is this. Are you a true disciple of Christ? Have you surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you are a professing disciple of Christ, does your life show it? Is there evidence of this life-saving and life-changing encounter with King Jesus? And if not, well, Jesus opens wide the door of invitation even now. 
He calls you even now, even as he called each of those disciples, he calls you to come, to come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come today. Surrender today. Answer the call of Jesus today if you have yet to do so. Well, let's continue with verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. True disciples are commissioned by the authority, the authority of Christ. And as we've seen throughout this series, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He has been given authority over demons, diseases, dark clouds, dominions, eternal destinies, and death. Let me just take a brief moment to recap these areas of authority. Jesus has authority over diseases. We've seen Jesus heal lepers, the blind, the paralyzed. No disease is beyond his authority and control, including COVID-19. He has authority over demons. He has the authority simply to say a single word and cast out demons. He has authority over dark clouds. He rebukes the wind and the waves and says, be still. And the wind and the waves have to obey him. They have to be still. He has authority over dominions. Jesus stands before the Roman governor Pilate, the one who has the authority to issue the death sentence or not. And he tells Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. In other words, Jesus is telling Pilate, the governor, I don't ultimately answer to you, Pilate. You answer to me. And the fact that Jesus has authority over all dominions is so helpful in this election year. So many people out there, You don't have to be on social media long to see so many people out there think that this is the most important election ever. They're placing all their hope in this candidate or that candidate, this party or that party. Now, we should vote. We should exercise our rights and privileges of living in this country. But whatever happens on November 3rd doesn't change the reality that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. But that's not all. He has all authority over eternal destinies. As we've seen, at the final judgment, Jesus will make a final separation between the sheep and the goats, between good fruit and bad fruit, the faithful servants and unfaithful, the wise virgins and foolish virgins. The true disciples of Christ will enter eternal life with God in heaven, while all others will be sentenced to eternal judgment in hell. Christ and Christ alone will sit as judge over every single human being who has ever lived. And he will determine the fate of each individual person. He has authority over eternal destinies. So Christ has authority over diseases, demons, dark clouds, dominions, and eternal destinies. But his last and greatest realm of authority is his authority over death. But his authority over death comes in an ironic way. We've already seen in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus betrayed and arrested, despised and rejected even by his own people. We've seen Jesus condemned to death and executed on a Roman cross. So paradoxically and even ironically, Jesus secures his authority over death by dying. He dies. He gives in to death. He dies so that, and this is key, he dies so that he can rise up from the dead three days later on Easter Sunday. 
But that begs the question, why did he do that? Why did he have to give in to death? He's God. Couldn't he have just stopped death the moment he came on earth? Couldn't he have just said, death be gone? And then there would be no more death for anyone ever. Well, that didn't happen. He had to die because he had to die in our place. He had to take the punishment for our sins upon himself. The wages of sin is death, meaning the penalty for breaking God's law is death. It's physical death. Our bodies will grow old and die if it doesn't succumb to disease before then. It's spiritual death, separation from God, the only source of life. It's eternal death, eternal punishment in a fiery place called hell. And Jesus paid that death, paid that penalty, paid that cost in our place. That means he was condemned for our sins. He was punished for our sins. He died for our sins, for us. That was his life's mission. He came to save his people from their sins, to die as a substitutionary sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in dying and rising, Jesus defeated death and now has all authority over death, which means death doesn't have the final say over God's people. The moment Jesus returns, he will order death to release all its victims and all of us will rise up from the dead and enjoy the new heavens and new earth in a resurrected body. So the question before us is, are we submitting to the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? Are we trusting his authority? Does his authority direct our life? Submitting to his authority is not just a one and done kind of deal. If it's not a present day reality, submitting to King Jesus day by day, you have to question whether it was ever a reality. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's submission language, submission to his authority. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what, what shall a man give in return for his soul? So it begins here, denying ourselves, taking up the cross and following him. But it's also a, it's also a day-by-day reality for the disciple of Christ. So another way to ask, are you submitting to his authority is this. Are you following him? Or are you following your own way? As we heard from Tim last week, to follow Christ means you are a humble learner. That means disciples of Christ, we sit at the feet of Jesus. We listen to what he says and we build our life upon his word. And you follow his word even when the culture applauds you, like telling the truth and loving your neighbor. But you follow his word even when the culture questions you or hates you, such as honoring human institutions of authority. Upholding the biblical definition of marriage as one man and one woman for life. Or loving God more than loving anything else in this world. In short, following Jesus means saying no to sin, saying no to self, and saying yes to Christ. Saying yes to Christ. As D.A. Carson writes, to die to self means to consider it better to die 
Listen to these words. Consider it better to die than to lust. Consider it better to die than to tell this falsehood. Consider it better to die than to, you name the sin. So to follow Christ means you're a humble learner. To follow Christ means you are a dependent truster. You trust God's word, his law, his truth, even if you're persecuted for it. To follow Christ means you're a persevering finisher. That means following Jesus is not a one-time event. It's a day-by-day reality until you finish life's race. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, as we look at these different characteristics of a disciple, we have to ask ourselves, does this, do these things characterize my life? Does it characterize your life? And you have to ask whether you are choosing to follow Christ on Christ's terms or on your own terms. If you're following Christ on your own terms, then you have to ask whether you truly are a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ means that he is your king. He has authority over your life. And you must obey his marching orders. You submit, you obey his authority because he's in charge. He's your God. He's your king. And you do what he says. The last recorded words in Matthew give us our marching orders. And they come next. So the one who has all authority tells us what to do. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Two disciples are commissioned by the authority of Christ to make disciples by evangelism, by connecting to the local church, and by teaching others. I'm going to unpack each of these three things briefly here. Number one, first, by evangelism. By evangelism. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, you've experienced something, someone, so good, so lovely, so sweet, so amazing. You want others to experience that as well. In Christ, we've experienced the sweetness of sins forgiven, the love of God, and the hope of heaven. In Christ, we've tasted, we've seen how the Lord is good, and we want others to taste and experience that as well. That's why Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, to share the good news of what he's done with others. Jesus commands us to tell others about him through evangelism, by evangelism. And there are people everywhere, all around us, who have yet to experience Christ. We saw last week, to follow Christ means you are a fearless ambassador. You're an advancing pioneer. People don't come to faith in Christ unless someone explains the good news to them. How will they call on him? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Romans 10:17 says, "Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ." A person can't be saved. They can't experience Christ, his life-saving and life-changing work unless they hear him, unless they hear who he is and what he has done. Faith comes from hearing. So we have to pause for a moment and consider who are the unbelievers that God has placed in your life? Who are those family members, coworkers, neighbors, classmates? 
Who has God strategically placed in your life so that you can proclaim and share the good news of what Jesus has done with them? How are you relating to them? How are you serving them, caring for them? Are there ways, even during this pandemic, to practice hospitality safely? And of course, are you willing to speak the truth in love to them? Evangelism isn't rocket science. One simple gospel presentation has four parts. God, man, Christ, response. So if you're not sure how to share the gospel, I'm just explaining to you now a very simple gospel outline. God, man, Christ, response. God, a holy God created us and will judge us based on his law. Man, man failed to keep God's law and has been failing ever since. Christ, Christ kept the law and suffered the punishment for us in our place. Response, it's not enough just to know this information. The response is one of repentance and faith, surrendering to Christ, turning from our sin and trusting in Christ alone. We've been running a virtual bridge course Wednesday evenings. I want to take a moment to give a shout out to our faithful volunteers and laborers, Dave and Christine Esternell, Helen Epright, Randy Bryan, Tim and Lana Yurick. Thank you. Thank you for serving others, for serving Christ. If you're not familiar with the Bridge course, it's a discipleship course on knowing and following Jesus. Bridge unpacks important questions like, how can a good God allow suffering? Why did Jesus have to die? And how do we know he rose again? The Bridge course is open to anyone and everyone can benefit. We also offer a Bridge in a Box course, a kit, so you can run the Bridge course on your own. So consider the unbelievers in your life. Consider whether the Lord might want you to invite them to a bridge course or to run a bridge course with them. If you're interested in taking the bridge course or running your own bridge course from your home, please contact Dave Esternell. Could Dave just stand for a minute so people know who's to talk to Dave? So if you're interested in taking the course or running the course, please connect with Dave. But our mission strategy goes beyond just evangelizing those in our circle of influence. As a church, Risen Hope Church is committed to gospel mission through church planting. We do this in partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches. In fact, Risen Hope Church was planted five years ago by a Sovereign Grace Church, Covenant Fellowship in Glen Mills. Two years ago, we helped send out Joel Bain to plant Grace Family Church in Jamaica. To follow Christ means you are an impartial diversifier, one who makes disciples of all nations, all peoples, all ethnicities, both locally and internationally. And we as your pastors are eager to see another church planted to reach people with the gospel that we can't reach. So let's be praying. Let's be praying to, for the Lord to raise up a team from Risen Hope so we can multiply our gospel impact. We want to be a church planting church. So first, we make disciples by evangelism. And second, we make disciples by connecting them to the local church. Let's look at verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus commissions us to tell others about him, and when he saves them, he saves them into the local church. One of the first acts of obedience for a disciple is to be baptized, to go public with their faith. And King Jesus authorized one and only one organization to perform baptisms, and that's the local church. People don't baptize themselves. They're baptized by the local church. And when Christ saves someone, he saves them into his church body. 
That means a Lone Ranger Christian is a contradiction in terms. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And if you prefer the Lone Ranger approach, you're not submitting to his authority. You're not following his command. And that means you're, you don't have a basis for assuming that you really are his disciple. You might be wondering, well, how can you say that? You don't know my heart. Well, true, I don't know anyone's heart. Only God knows your heart. But I do know what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that every disciple is vitally connected to the local church. In the New Testament, when someone wasn't vitally connected to the local church, it almost always meant that something was wrong, that they were living in sin, or they abandoned Christ, or both. But I also need to speak a moment for those here who might, or maybe watching over the live stream, who see church participation as somewhat optional. And there are people here, maybe even members, who participate only once or twice a month in our Sunday gathering. Again, the New Testament pattern is so clear. The normal pattern is vital, faithful, consistent connection to the local church. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. To follow Christ means you are a church organizer. That means you organize your life around church. We all organize our lives around something. Maybe it's kids or work or sports or hobbies. But to follow Christ means you organize your life around his kingdom. There are some here who are quick to prioritize something else if it comes up on Sunday. It's easy for them to neglect meeting together. But to follow Christ means to be to, to be committed to his church body week in and week out. So often church commitment can be shallow because we make it about me. What do I get out of the, what do I get out of the service? Or what's the value add in my life? But Jesus wants us to make it about him and about others. I want to encourage you to be outward focused when you come to church on Sunday or when you go to community group. I want you to think, who does God want me to encourage and serve? And you can turn it into simple questions to ask your brothers and sisters. How has God been speaking in your life this week? How has God been speaking to you through this sermon? How has God been speaking to you and how has God been at work in your life? You can just make it into simple questions. How has God been working in your life? How has God been speaking to you? But in addition to our Sunday gathering, we have community groups twice a month for fellowship and prayer together. In these next couple of weeks, the community groups are going to be discussing the booklet, How Can I Love Church Members with Different Politics? We want you there. We want you there. And we as your pastors will be there leading discussion. The Lord commands us to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That means you and I, we each each one of us has a, has a responsibility to fight for unity within this local church body. And in the chaos of this election cycle, we need to remember what unites us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's far greater than partisan politics. If you've neglected community groups, the Lord wants to call you back to faithful and consistent commitment to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want to pause and speak to those who have been coming or maybe tuning in, but you're not yet committed to a local church body. The next step in discipleship for you is making a commitment to a local church. We have a course called Explore, designed 
to help you discern whether this particular local church is the one that the Lord wants you to commit to. One of the evidences of your commitment to Christ is your commitment to his body. If you're thinking, well, it's just me and Jesus and we're good, or you're gravely mistaken. Jesus himself did life with 12 disciples, and he had fellowship, community, and relationship. If you're not committed to other Christians through the local church, then something is lacking in your discipleship. Explore is that six-week course designed to answer that question, how do I do life with other faithful disciples? And if you're interested in that course, please contact the church office or talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to get you signed up. True disciples are commissioned by the authority of Christ to make disciples by evangelism, by connecting to the local church, and finally, by teaching others. To follow Christ means you are intentional reproducer and personal mentor. Jesus taught his disciples, and we have the same responsibility to teach others. If a two-year-old child is the same size, weight, and development as a two-year-old, well, you would know something is wrong. A healthy child grows and develops and matures. It's the same with disciples. Disciples grow, mature, and develop. And it begins here on Sunday morning where we, have, we as your pastors have the responsibility to teach you God's word so that you can grow. Teaching and learning is essential in discipleship. So how does God want to use you in teaching and encouraging others? How does God want to use you to help someone else know the truth better and to live it out better? Disciple making takes initiative, takes risk. It's helping others follow Jesus. And maybe, just, maybe that teaching and learning means you're meeting with someone to read the Bible or do a book study together. Maybe it's one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's inviting someone to your home or inviting someone to go with you to run some errands so you can do life together and talk about God. Or maybe it's reading the Bible with your children and living it out consistently in your home. I'd like to ask Stevie to come up to lead our closing song. And after our closing song, we're going to look at some other important ways to apply disciple making as a church. So if you're watching this live stream or listening, don't miss the final part of our message after this closing song. When you build a house, order matters. You don't build the attic before laying the foundation. And that second part that we talked about, connecting to the local church is foundational for all of us. Foundational to our discipleship is this. Our Sunday gathering, the teaching and preaching of God's word, hearing and responding together. But in addition, in addition to that, we have fellowship together in our community groups. And these must be a priority if we're going to grow as disciples. Our Sunday gathering in our community groups. But don't stop at the foundation. Let's continue building. Let's build by evangelism, speaking the gospel. Maybe it's as, as simple as God, man, Christ responds. Maybe it's inviting someone to bridge or to church. And you build by teaching and learning. And for some, building might mean joining our men's discipleship group. Our men's discipleship group is going to be starting a book study on Tim's book, Respect the Image, on October 18th. And the Risen Women will be starting uh, women's Bible studies as well. Stay tuned for those things. And as we wrap up the, the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to start the series, a series on the book of Acts. So we want to ask every one of you here to read the book of Acts 
together, for us to read it together as a church family. We want that to be a key application point, to be reading and praying and asking God, how do you want to use us in gospel mission? See, the book of Acts picks up where Matthew leaves off, and we see the explosion of the church through the multiplication of disciples. And I believe, we believe that the Lord wants to use us as well. So be praying together, reading together, read in your families, uh, read with a community group buddy, maybe read over the dinner table, read over the phone or over Zoom, or get together over coffee with social distancing. But let's be reading and anticipating what the Lord will do next as we look at the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We thank you, Jesus. You have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And you've commissioned us to go and make disciples, beginning with our own homes, beginning with our neighbors, beginning with people all around us. Help us to grow. Help us to be faithful and obedient. I pray that you would send out your spirit. Pour out your spirit on us because we can't do it on our own. We need your power from on high. Lord, to obey this great commission. Use us, oh God. Use us for the advancement of your kingdom and ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.